If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. When you need to know what's going on in the UK, David Curtin has his finger on the pulse. Today's news talk, TNT. Hello and welcome to the David Curtin Show. I'm David Curtin here on today's News Talk TNT and I'm back in the normal place in the studio today after the last couple of days when I was on location in central London with our other hosts, Abby Roberts and Sonia Poulton. And it was a really good uh, couple of days, good to see them, but also really good to report on what was going on in this very, very uh, important and key event where Julian Assange was having his hearing and fighting extradition to the United States. Now, as we said all along, he should not be extradited and this shouldn't even be taking place because all he has done is journalism. Hopefully, the right outcome will happen. Uh, We hear, uh, as has been said on the news a number of times, that the outcome, the result, the judgment will not be heard until a few weeks' time. We really hope that it goes the right way and that he will be allowed leave to appeal, uh, stay in the UK. But staying in Belmarsh is not a better option. He should be freed entirely. And the Australian government, as we know, and the parliament there has passed a motion uh, calling for him to be freed and to be allowed to go back home and live as a free man in Australia. It was shocking, the response of the rest of the media in the UK, what I would call the mainstream media or fake news media, which didn't hardly report on this at all. Um, And the the couple of the outlets that did were mocking in what they said in, in some cases, which is absolutely deplorable. What we did get yesterday was a load of theater and puppetry fabricated and bubbled up in Parliament about a motion on Gaza. And if you've been looking at the mainstream fake stream news, which I do sometimes just to see what they're saying, uh, you would have seen that there's all kinds of people making accusations at each other about this motion on Gaza. One party, the SNP, wanted a motion calling for an immediate ceasefire. Labour then took control and changed the motion uh, to being a motion for a humanitarian ceasefire linked to the hostages being released by Hamas. Now, to me, they're both worded fine. I don't see the problem with either of them, but they're all fighting each other and they're fighting the speaker. And there's all this theatre going on about whether the speaker had done the wrong thing and he's overturned uh, decades of protocol or so on. The thing with this is a motion in Parliament has no force of law. It's just an opportunity for MPs to express their opinion about something which is not legislative, either primary legislation, which is an act of Parliament, or secondary legislation, which is laid as a statutory instrument. Now, I'm very familiar with motions because when I was on the London Assembly for five years, every month there was a plenary session. And in the plenary session, there would always be five to ten motions laid by assembly members, usually, I must say, by the parties that will be considered to be on the left of the political spectrum, Labour, Lib Dems and uh, Greens. I 
I didn't actually lay any motion myself because I kind of was felt very much like I was one against 24 people. So it's very hard to get uh, a seconder to second any motion that I wanted to put down, which would have been something sensible, like there's crime here. I propose a motion that there's more police goes to this place to cut crime. That would be a motion worth putting down. A motion on Gaza in Parliament isn't going to make any difference to the situation whatsoever. I have called for a ceasefire from the very beginning because I don't take a side in this. I'm neither a Jew nor an Arab. I do understand if you're Jewish or you're Arab, you probably would emotionally be inclined to take a side in the conflict that's going on. Me, I'm just looking at this as a human being, and I don't want people to be killing people. Whatever happens, you can say this happened a few months ago, this happened a few years ago, this happened a few hundred years ago, this happened a few thousand years ago. The question is not what happened in the past. The question to me is who's going to end it and stop killing people. So that's all I've been saying about what's happening in Gaza. But this doesn't have the force of law. So all it is, is people virtue signaling about their position so they have a chance to tell people what their position is on something that is largely irrelevant to legislation, because this is not about legislating to bring in laws which will affect things happening in the United Kingdom, in the country that Parliament sits in, it's about virtue signaling about what you think about something that's going on a long, long way away. I must say that this, however, would have been a golden opportunity for someone to lay a motion about Julian Assange, which would have made a difference, I think. If there had been a motion yesterday, instead of about Gaza, instead of people arguing about, oh, it should have been worded like this, or it should have been worded like this. If someone had had the good sense to say, we're gonna lay a motion this week about Julian Assange, because this is where the hearing is taking place. This is when the hearing is taking place. A saying, we believe, this house believes that Julian Assange should be freed and not extradited to the United States. It would have given our parliamentarians a chance to vote to do the right thing. It wouldn't carry the force of law, but it would have a lot of moral force because if you had a majority of MPs in the Westminster House of Commons saying and voting for a motion to free Julian Assange, that is something that nobody could ignore. But instead, what we have is people looking at a lot of puppetry and a lot of theatrical arguments going on while they ignore the most important thing happening this week, which is the trial and hearing of Julian Assange. This is today's News Talk, TNT. Keeping the commitment. I love you guys. Unbelievable. 24-7. Listen to you every day, half for years. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to the David Curtin Show. I'm David Curtin. This is today's News Talk TNT. And I have with me Gemma Cooper, our resident reporter and expert on what is going on in the news today. Welcome to the show, Gemma. Hello there, David. I, I love that analysis actually yesterday, you know, the puppetry, because if you were cynical or if you were thinking that, the, you know, it, distraction techniques are a wonderful uh, way of making people go, oh, look over here, when they really should be 
looking over there, i.e. at the Assange trial, you know, and there's this huge row that nobody really, unless you're in politics in the UK, really quite understands. The average person in the street doesn't know a lot about the role of the Speaker of the House of Commons, doesn't know a lot about motions and tabling of debates and, and what the first motion is or a second motion is. They don't know, you know, so to them, it's just a bamboozlement of something happened in Parliament and it might be a bit dodgy, but they don't really know what it is. Whereas there was a historic landmark hearing in the High Court yesterday, which has implications for press freedom and freedom of information for everybody right across the world. No, 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 don't look at that. Look at this kind of nursery school spat, which is pretty mm. much what it looks like, you know, going on in the Houses of Parliament, which nobody quite really understands. You know, I've been reading all of the accounts of this and the language is so convoluted and complicated of he said, she said, wording of this, wording of that, motion this, motion that. You're like, what is going on here with this story, non-story? I mean, in parliamentary procedural terms, everybody's jumping up and down. But in that, you're not, unless you're engaged with that world or that uh, you're educated in the way of parliament, you don't care. You literally will not care about this story. But it's funny, it's come right off the back of the Assange hearing. Absolutely. And what I heard yesterday from some people that were at the hearing and speaking outside was that the media was starting to take an interest in the case because it's big news. It's something that's going on. It's something that I think TNT had a lot to do with this is bringing this to the attention of a wider audience in the UK around the world. Obviously, the media from around the globe was there and, and the mainstream was actually beginning to start to look there. They were saying, oh, should we be covering this? But then this puppet show started to happen in Parliament about a motion. And as you say, this is very, very convoluted. It doesn't carry the force of law. And what parliamentarians should be doing, what MPs should be doing, is making law that actually makes our lives better, not arguing with each other about, oh, should we vote for an immediate ceasefire or a humanitarian ceasefire? And this person said this and that person said that, and uh, just completely distracts away from the most important thing that's going on, as you say. I mean, I understand it. I, you know, to me, most motions that are laid really, you know, I, I'm not interested in because there's so many motions that are laid about climate alarmism, about the various woke agendas that are going on. I mean, this is something that, you know, laying a motion about calling for a ceasefire in Gaza is a good thing to do. But this has been going on since the 7th of October. It's been going on for four months now. Surely they could have done this already and agreed something. Uh, and then this week focused on the trial of Julian Assange, which is about all of our freedom. But I do wonder, um, with the MPs there, uh, seem to be acting in concert to try and take away our freedom with things like the online safety bill. So them distracting from the hearing actually goes along with what their agenda is uh, overall, I would think. Before I get to the story of today, uh, which has just broken uh, in the last few hours for this show, I would say you and I are a very similar age. And I've asked this question of um, other presenters of my age in the UK uh, on TNT. Do you remember the show, which is currently rerunning on a, on a UK outlet here called Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister? Yes, I love those shows. Yeah, well, do you know, it's it's all about this. They were made in the 70s and 80s for anyone not listening here in the UK, or even if you're in the UK and you, you're too young to remember these shows. They're brilliantly written satires 
featuring some amazing actors from the UK. Um, and they're made in the 70s and 80s. And they're all about the relationship between the prime minister and the cabinet and the civil service and how the civil service manipulates the cabinet into doing what it wants, you know, ostensibly as the face of power. But the real power lies in Whitehall, in the civil service. And the, and the, and the catchphrase at the end of every show each week is either, yes, minister, or yes, prime minister, meaning that <laughs> the, the civil service has got its way. And I wonder if there's, there is an element of, of this in this, what's happened, you know, whether the civil service or Whitehall or the shadowy puppeteers behind our, our front ministers are saying, we can't have this Assange trial gaining any more traction. You know, let's throw a rocket grenade into the Houses of Commons at this motion. Let's create a whole smokescreen of distraction. Uh, and then the focus will be elsewhere. And interestingly, Margaret Thatcher was PM at the time when Yes Minister was incredibly popular because there were only three or four television channels to choose from in the 70s and 80s, or three until the 80s. And there are only three channels. So it got millions and millions and millions of viewers tuning in every week. And she was asked by a journalist and commentator, how much truth is there in, the, in, this, in this program? And she looked at the, uh, the journalist and these quotes went down in history. And she said, much more than you realize. It's far closer to the truth than you would think. And I think now it, it was a bit like The Matrix. It wasn't a, a TV series. It was a documentary, you know. Yes. It was telling us this is what's going on. And I think that's what we've seen in the last 24 hours here. Yeah, right. You know, the, the interesting thing about that is that was made by the BBC when the BBC was actually doing some good stuff. I mean, some of the comedies that the BBC um, wrote and had writers put out in the 70s and 80s was fantastic, but that would never be made today because it's been completely captured by people who are woke, you know, or cultural Marxist, if you like, and, and don't want people to enjoy real humour. But any kind of comedy that comes out is, you know, just, yeah soul destroying i would say but but something that is so clever so nuanced and and so absolutely on point um i i don't think would be be written today but there was um the show the thick of it um but that that was 15 years ago now i love that as well uh, and that really sort of shows up how um the things developed in parliament and politics and how sort of politics was manipulated in the early 21st century but i don't think anyone would write anything like that now I, well, they could try. They'd have to. They'd have to come to TNT, and we would broadcast it for them on our videos <laughs> at the weekend. We'll put it on our video output at the weekend, and they will find a natural home here. But yeah, it won't find any natural home at the BBC. But yeah, you're quite right. The thick of it as well it was a modern day. Was a modern day mm. Yes Minister. I would urge anybody to go and check out both of those. I mean, I've got particular affinity to Yes Minister and Yes Prime Minister because it represents my childhood. But I also now, mm. looking back with a journalistic head on, think what was the reason I loved those shows so much is that I knew that I would end up doing this one day, and I had a natural. <laughs> affinity for the workings of power and knowing what really goes on behind the scenes i don't know we're going off on a tangent i should probably bring you a bit of breaking news that we, is my we just, job we talk for too much Gemma. <laughs> you know, we need to know your story for the day what, well, what's the story, going on Gemma? <laughs> very very quickly now that the you know we're casting our eye over the global landscape now that we're not outside of the royal courts of justice uh, russia today has been accused of weaponizing food it's the latest development since uh, alexei navalny's death last week. Um, yesterday, the UK imposed sanctions against the six people in charge of the Arctic Antarctic penal colony when Navalny died. The UK imposed sanctions. So today, as a result of that, Russia has uh, torn up 
a historic fishing agreement that it's had with the UK since 1956, allowing the UK fishing fleet to um, to fish in the Barents Sea, which is off the northwest coast of Russia. Uh, Lots of cod and haddock have come historically from that area. Uh, Today, uh, they have said no, they're ripping up the agreement. They're in very emotive language. They said the Brits need to lose weight and smarten up. No more cod and haddock out of Russian waters. Uh, This is a direct response to the sanctions issued yesterday. Uh, This is a quote from the Russian parliamentary speaker, Velastyas Volodin. He said the British have been unscrupulous. They've eaten Russian fish for 68 years. Now they can lose weight and get smarter. The British government have said, we haven't really fished in that area for a long time. So it's not really going to matter whether that's true or not. We'll see. Um, And also they say that Russia has given the UK government no official notification on this. But it's the latest. Obviously, we've already got the tensions building with the Ukraine, the East meets West. You know, the threat of nuclear war seems to be in the headlines every day. This is now a direct result of sanctions against Navalny, the opposition leader's death, uh, tearing up this historic agreement um, that the UK is saying today it's just another example of Russia's continued isolation on a global stage. Good luck to Russia. We don't really care. I don't know if that's necessarily the truth, because apparently UK vessels have historically taken more than half a million tonnes of cod and haddock out of that part of the sea in the last year alone. So it sounds like we are fishing there when it suits us. Mm, I wonder if this is a bit of a posturing here. You know, I mean, sanctions against six Russians who run a prison camp in the Arctic Circle is not actually going to do much. What are they going to say? These people are not going to be able to allow travel to the UK. They're probably not going to lose anything. You know, whether we lose um, yeah, a lot of fishing rights as a proportion of how much we fish, I don't know. But, you know, really, I think this uh, war of words, this trade war, we, we it would be far better if we could sit down and get back to normal relations with Russia, uh, stopping posing sanctions on them so they stop imposing sanctions on us and i hope that we do get back to that situation uh, in the next couple of years uh, at least and we get some wiser people in parliament than those people that we have now who seem to be escalating war and tensions at every turn anyway Gemma, thank you so much for joining us um and uh here on the david curtain show on today's news talk tnt tnt's mark morano breaking news Climate punks trash the U.S. Constitution at the National Archive Rotunda in Washington, D.C. We are determined to foment a rebellion. We will not be held accountable to laws in which we have no voice or representation. The entire U.S. Archive was evacuated because of this stunt. And did you notice our men in blue and women in blue? stood around and enabled these protesters to not only deface the case of the of the where the u.s constitution was held but also to quiet the crowd it seemed like and just allow them to speak it's almost as if hey they have the floor everyone let's be quiet we have some uh, we have some uh, vandals here that want to speak let's give them our due respect that they've deserved that they've earned mark morano on today's news talk tnt a better business tip from tnt radio News Talk Radio listeners are some of the most active and involved listeners of any format. TNT Radio listeners rely on TNT Radio often as their primary source of information. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Today's News Talk Radio. Now we're talking... TNT.
Welcome back to the David Curtin Show. I'm David Curtin. This is today's News Talk TNT. And I'm delighted to have with me on this section of the show, Sarah Farrell. Sarah Farrell is someone I know. I must declare that. She is in the Heritage Party. She is our Cornwall coordinator for the Heritage Party. And she's also a parish councillor in Cornwall. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me to your show, David. Now, it's really good to have you on. And, and you've got lots of important information that you need to share with what's happening there, because you're now a parish councillor in Cornwall. You, you, you're new. You were recently co-opted onto your local parish there, which is fantastic. Um, but you've noticed things happening that are being implemented uh, at a council level, either a parish level or county council level that haven't been done before. Can you tell us about some of the things and the changes you see which you don't think are good for uh, life in Cornwall, which are making changes that are detrimental to people? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a question of where do I start? It really is. There is so much going on in Cornwall. Um, someone said to me yesterday um, that if you say something that it's not quite right, um, people will, you know, have, hold you that judgment. So before I say anything, can I say whatever I say this in this interview? Please go and check it for yourself, because yeah. you need to you need to be actually confident in what I'm saying, and then you will take the necessary action that's necessary. Because yeah. the public needs to wake up in Cornwall to what really is happening on their doorstep. And that is the biggest problem that we've got. Um, before I start, and this is the absolute zero document. The United Kingdom government signed up to this, um, which you will find on the internet. And a lot of things people are, is happening in our country that people are thinking, why is this happening? Okay. And it's, it's happening because it's a blueprint of the, the government's following of the absolute zero document. That then is rolling down to the county level. And the county council are then rolling that out, which is affecting the people at, you know, in the county. So we are feeling the actual impact of that. And it's affecting Cornwall in a big, big way. One of our two main industries of Cornwall, obviously, is tourism. And the other one is farming. And with long cyber farming is obviously the land and how it's actually used. So that, that is my biggest um, thing I'd like to talk about, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, also, um, this document here is based on a narrative which is contradictory to a narrative that was passed by, pushed up by David Bellamy back in the 1980s. Now, I know a lot of people know this, but I do have some viewers that have not heard this before, and it's for their benefit I want to say this. Back in the 1980s, David, David Bellamy used to power a lot of programs from the rainforest, and he clearly explained to the population that the rainforest is the lungs of the planet. It absorbs carbon dioxide and releases oxygen back into the, to, into the atmosphere. Some people at the time, did not agree with that and that has led to industry of green industries where a lot of people are making an awful lot of money and there's businesses that have sprung up and also making a lot of money so this is a big part of what we're up against if i can say about the david bellamy oh, sorry yeah I that, know, they, uh, uh, yeah go ahead yeah yeah okay so like i said 
he explained that carbon dioxide is actually the food of life for the plants. It actually needs to absorb it. And what people don't realize that in the atmosphere, it's only 0.04% of the actual atmosphere made of a carbon dioxide, of which of that only 3% of that 0.04% is actually man-made. So what on earth are they doing saying that it's a climate crisis? It's not. It's more about that. I'm sorry, but that's the reality mm. of the situation. Now, the impact of that, when I look as a, as a parish councillor at the documents and what is actually throughout the, the uh, policies, it is all based on this narrative. What the, they need to do is question what the evidence is. Now, here in Cornwall, we've got Time to Wake Up Cornwall and the Seven Concerned Citizens, which are both grassroots movements, which have been trying to um, get the government to show the evidence which backs up what they're saying, and also to try and wake up the people of Cornwall to what's happening. So that that is a big, big part. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're, you're totally right. Carbon dioxide is not a harmful gas, and we're being told by climate alarmists that we need to be frightened of carbon dioxide. Um, but and we also we need to reduce the amount of carbon dioxide that we use or that we emit through vehicles, uh, through building, and also through agriculture as well. And uh, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. But many of the people who actually tell us that we need to do this get on their private jets two or three times a year, fly off to climate climate conferences or G7 conferences or whatever, um, the World Economic Forum conference in Davos, and they emit more carbon dioxide in one day than an African farmer would do in a lifetime. So the hypocrisy with those people is absolutely off the scale. And Sarah, stay with us. We're going to come back after a short break and then uh, it'd be really good to ask you about the specific things that are happening in Cornwall to do with farming, to do with fishing, to do with buildings, to do with the war on cars and those kind of things. So stay with us. Uh, we'll have a short break. This is today's News Talk, TNT. Here's the news. TNT Radio News. News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Julian Assange's extradition hearing wrapped up in London on Wednesday, but the judges in the case are yet to make their decision, with a ruling not expected until at least mid-March. Leading US presidential candidate Donald Trump has once again voiced his opposition to sending more aid to Ukraine. And China has hit out at G20 leaders for using the forum to amplify geopolitical disagreements instead of discussing matters of global economic cooperation. The common housefly, caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Whoa. Dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNTradio.live. Welcome back to the David Curtin Show here on today's News Talk TNT. And I have with me Sarah Farrell, who is a Heritage Party parish councillor in Cornwall and the Cornwall coordinator for the party as well. So, Sarah, you were just introducing uh, some of the things which are 
behind the ideology behind some of the changes that you're seeing being implemented by the council because of the climate agenda or agenda 2030 whatever you like to call it um absolute zero net zero but what specific things are happening that you see in terms of uh restrictions on cars restrictions on farmers and uh, changes to planning and zoning and those kind of things. Yeah. Well, Cornwall is actually made up of under 880,000 acres. And the policy is that 30% of it should be rewilded, which you're talking about 264,000 acres actually going to be put into wildflowers. Now that takes it away from actual farming for the you know for food that we need in this country. Secondly, you've got solar panel farms, which we've already got quite a lot across Cornwall. But now the uh, Cornwall Council is planning on is in the process of going through the planning of twenty to uh, two hundred acre solar panel farms, and there's one going to be already passed for right near my doorstep. Also, we know about the wind farms that you know, there's wind turbines that are everywhere throughout the county. But one thing other that's coming in, and this is really worrying, is the battery energy storage system. Now, Professor Paul Steve, uh, Christensen, he calls it thermally, um, dynamically unstable, basically. Um, he's, if I just quote him very briefly here a moment and so you can understand where I'm coming from. He is the senior advisor to the National Fire Chiefs Council and serves on a number of UK government and British Standards Institute working and governance groups that states that lithium batteries are thermally dynamically unstable. This means in a cell, in a battery, becomes abused in some way, for example, crushed, penetrated, overcharged or defected, it can lead to thermal runaway. Thermal runaway is where once a cyclical pattern where the gases are being released from the subfaulty cell cause heat, which leads to more gases being released. That's, this can lead to ignition and explosion. Now, in Arizona, this has already happened um, where it was actually it built and built and built. And there was a 75 mile cloud, you know, that came off from the thermal runaway. Now that's done. If it happened in Cornwall, that could stretch an awful lot of the area. But the gases that are released from this is, uh, uh, you know, very poisonous to both, you know, animal and plant life. And so, this is a very dangerous situation. But the, there is no extinguisher to put these out, so they have to literally run them out. In London, okay, uh, the fire brigades every other two days. There's one electric, um, fire, there's a fire for every electric vehicle. Westminster, what cares so much to other people, okay, two years ago banned electric vehicles from being anywhere near Westminster buildings. So I question, they should be putting the, the safety of the people first and not allowing these to roll out. But I know for a fact, because I've seen the letters, that there's an energy company directly contacting the farmers so that's a very lucrative deal so they can actually put these, these farms, you know, sorry, the battery energy storage systems out across the county. So you've got that. Plus, you've also got the housing situation where you've got uh, Cornwall councillors allowing people from outside of our county to come down to take our homes. They're on the council list and this is causing even more pressure and therefore they're building more houses, which is stripping the land of even more 
availability of ground food. Now, the government is saying, oh, about war and everything. My question to the government is, if you do this, where are we going to grow our food? Simple. Sorry. I, if you wanted to mess up a country, if you wanted to ruin a country or a county, this sounds like the way to do it. I mean, Cornwall is an absolutely beautiful county. I've been there on holiday many times. It's got beautiful countryside, beautiful uh, beaches and, and cliffs and coves and so on. Uh, beautiful agriculture. Can I just put in there, David? Yeah, Sorry. yeah, go ahead. One other thing that's happening is that the, the Canadian company, okay, it wants to put magnesium hydroxide into the waters uh, of St. Ives. And you've just said uh, what a beautiful county it is. They do not know what the effects will be, be on marine life, but they want to try out as, a, as a, an experiment. Excuse me? Well, I mean, that's going to increase the pH of the water. It's going to make it more alkaline. It's going to make it significantly more alkaline. So um, any sensitive marine creatures who are, you know, a lot of them are very pH sensitive, uh, they're going to perish. I mean, to me, that's obvious. You say that, that's the first thing that comes into my head. Um, it, you know, that's just another example of absolute insanity of you know what these people are implementing all on the basis of what this climate alarm alarmism agenda um you know you've mentioned there rewilding and then solar panels wind farms the battery energy storage system this uh adding alkali to the sea i mean all this is absolutely insane and as well as the increase in the population i i assume that people coming there um, you, you know, on the council's list will be migrants who have come illegally across the channel to Dover. We know this is a huge problem in the UK and they're being taken by the Home Office and filtered all around the country. Um, but the thing is here, I mean, Cornwall, it, it's a microcosm of what's happening in the whole country. So, you know, everything Absolutely. you've said about what's happening in Cornwall is happening everywhere. It's happening in Yorkshire, it's happening in Sussex and Essex and Suffolk and Leicestershire and Wales and Scotland. Um, yeah, and I assume it's also happening uh, around the world in other countries as well, who are all beholden to these UN 17 Sustainable Development Goals. And, and there's a phrase that they use, which is they implement this uh, on a global to local basis. Is that a term that you've heard of, global to local? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You had Madeline, which is our general secretary, on last yeah. week, and what she was talking about. Yeah, I do see that as a councillor level. I really do. Mm. Um, where is the agenda from the, like we're saying, from the United Nations, actually going into a local level? I mean, it does mm. make you wonder about Westminster, doesn't it? Really. Yeah, absolutely. Look, Sarah, I've just got a couple of minutes, but a couple of very important questions I want to ask you. You got co-opted onto your local parish council. Can you tell us about what a co-option is and how people might be able to go about that um, as a way to perhaps getting on uh, a local council? Yeah, we need people. We really do need people to do this and get involved. And it's actually quite easy. The local parish councils do have very often have vacancies. All you need to do is contact the clerk, find out if there's a vacancy, 
all I did was just sent, wrote an, a left, an email to them to explain the reason why I wanted to get onto the parish council. I went to the following meeting. There was a vote, and I was co-opted. So now I've got to um, get the trust of my parish, you know, uh, of, of the parish to actually get elected next time. But you know, everybody should get involved because people say, "Oh, politics has nothing to do with me." We make decision, decisions every day of the week, which mm. whether we choose to call it political or not. They are, and they affect everybody's lives. And as a heritage party, what I really like about this, and I encourage everybody to read the manifesto, is that it's a common sense values. We're based on family, we're based on uh, traditional values, and we're based on nation. We need to take our country back. We need to get people involved. So please, if you're listening, have a look and get engaged. Absolutely. Thank you, Sarah. I mean, you're doing a great job. You're, you're now one of seven councillors we have with the Heritage Party at parish level and town council level. It's so fantastic that you got yourself involved there, found a vacancy, got yourself co-opted uh, onto the council. And we've got uh, three more people actually trying to get co-opted at the moment. Um, and there's also local elections coming up. So we'll obviously be standing for uh, local elections at district and uh, borough level and county level next year. I think your elections in Cornwall are next year in 2025. And I know you're going to be standing for that. So I hope that you will also be next year a county councillor as well okay. as a parish councillor. <laughs> Absolutely. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on. Time flies. And it's been a really great conversation <laughs> with you. Thank you so much. Um, and love to have you on the show again, because I'm sure you've got much more that you can say and you will have as I you do. go on um, as a parish <laughs> Councillor. So come back again soon. Thank you so much, Sarah. This is today's News Talk, TNT. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Remember Adriana on The Sopranos? Here's how we last saw her. He's a strong kid, Chrissy. He's tough. Well, she got whacked. But last week, actress Drea DeMatteo was with Megyn Kelly, and the self-proclaimed liberal had some harsh words for those of her political ilk. I really do think that the left is way more um, just angry. And this is supposed to be the hippies and the, you know, the people that really do care about equality and inclusivity. And then all of a sudden they are the ones shutting everything down, shutting everyone out, condemning freedom of speech, condemning everything. And she went after her Sopranos on-screen lover, Michael Imperiali. He was condemning some stuff on his Instagram feed that I noticed and um, like, I remember. Mm. I thought that was, I thought that was irresponsible. Last year, Imperiali posted on Instagram that he's gonna make sure nobody who's a homophobe or a bigot ever watches The Sopranos or any of his work. The left is loony. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT. I tell my son, I love you every single day. Now, my dad has never said that to me. Not because he doesn't love me, but because culturally it wasn't comfortable for him. Now that he's a grandfather, he says, I love you to my son every time he sees him. My advice to all the fathers out there, forget the cultural restrictions. They grow up way too fast for you to waste even a single precious moment. TNT. This is The David Curtin Show and today's News Talk.
TNT. Hello and welcome back to the David Curtin Show. I'm David Curtin and this is today's News Talk TNT. I'm delighted to have with me today Tom Sullivan, who is a journalist and also a political commentator. Welcome to the show, Tom. Pleasure to be with you, David. Thanks for having me. No, great to have you on the show. And there's so much going on at the moment in the news. I mean, this week, the main focus of what TNT has been reported on is the Julian Assange trial. Um, what do you make of that and what's happened over the last couple of days? Um, any any thoughts on that? I mean, uh, I think he is undoubtedly a political prisoner. And I think the reason why he's being so doggedly persecuted over so many years and they're basically using every trick in the book is because he exposed the CIA. He got on the wrong side of the CIA um, and, you know, Mike Pompeo, uh, Trump's uh, CIA director, who actually himself should be in prison. Um, it's on public record that he even discussed killing him, you know, so I don't see uh how that makes us different from other countries um that take out dissidents and, and journalists and one of the the main thing that julian was exposing and that wikileaks gave a platform to in my view uh was the military industrial complex which is i mean there's lots of competing rackets as you know um financial pharmaceutical but the weapons industry and military contractors um it's one of the biggest rackets in the world um it owns uh, washington dc completely uh, it owns large parts of the media um uh, either directly or through advertising or you know blackmail whatever it is and it launders trillions of our taxes um, and washes them in the blood of innocent people and uh, the CIA's own term for the negative consequences and secondhand effects of that is blowback and we've been talking about blowback um, and our disastrous foreign policy uh, ever since I first got into politics um, you know for the best part of, of 20 years um, so I think it's undoubted, uh, it's undoubtedly the case that he is a political prisoner, he is being persecuted. And, you know, when I speak to uh, journalists and politicians throughout this week and ask them what their view is, um, I'm, I'm just taken aback by people who say, oh, yeah, well, you know, look, the Americans really want him, they're our ally, let's keep them sweet. I mean, it's just, um, it's just horrible, really. We're supposed to be better than that, aren't we? We're supposed to have some values and some principles that we hold on to, not just to sacrifice an individual person because someone wants to put them in prison for no good reason whatsoever. I mean, our, our nation, you know, England, Scotland as well, obviously, and, and Wales and Northern Ireland as part of the United Kingdom is founded on individual liberty and uh, individual rights as well. So we, the idea is that if we have true justice if we have fair justice we don't sacrifice someone um without due process and to my mind this isn't really due process because he has not done anything wrong he's not been charged with anything in the united kingdom yes the, the united states wants to extradite him but he's a political prisoner and the extradition treaty that we have with the united states says that if someone is being extradited 
for political reasons, they shouldn't be extradited. He should be set free. And the Home Secretary, well, actually, we've had three Home Secretaries since he was arrested and since he was put mm. in Belmarsh. At least one of them should have just released him on those grounds. Um, you know, what do you think about that? I mean, uh, it, it's funny. So um, there have been a lot of comparisons made between Julian Assange and Alexei Navalny. Mm. And let's just, you know, kind of being a devil's advocate, um, maybe a mainstream view would be that's ridiculous. How can you compare, uh, you know, an anti-corruption activist hero who's now dead um, for, you know, standing up against a warmongering dictatorship to someone who released classified documents, um, etc., and, and 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 broke the law and is alive. I mean, as you said, he, he hasn't been charged with anything. Um, uh, and people forget the whole, there were Swedish allegations about um, alleged uh, sexual improprieties, which were, you know, when they exhausted that, they were drops eventually. Um, so, but actually, according to his wife, his physical condition is so bad that he wasn't even able to attend his own hearing. Um, and, you know, uh, the, the horrible stories we heard about the way that um, the state he got into at, in the Ecuadorian embassy, I, uh, you know, I don't know if they were put out there to discredit him, but I wouldn't blame him if they were true being, you know, mm. we all remember what it was like being cooped up in our homes in lockdown. Imagine being in yeah. that box room, you know, in, in for five years, uh, more or less. Um, and, you know, to put on top of that, Gonzalo Lira, an American citizen, a citizen journalist, tortured to death in a Ukrainian prison by the Zelensky regime, radio silence, apart from TNT and other alternative media, um, yeah. not talking about it at all, at all. And this is the thing. May he who is without sin cast the first stone, David. Yeah. That's what yes. I think we should remember here. Um, I find it, it's it's naked opportunism on its face to hear Sunak and Biden speaking about this is disgusting, journalists are treated like this. It, I'm confused as to why they seemingly care more, you know, viscerally about a, a Russian political prisoner in Russia as opposed to a dead American journalist in Ukrainian prison and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Julian Assange, who isn't even in a physical state to even virtually attend his hearing. Um, so it's complete hypocrisy. It's naked on its face. Um, and I think I, I try to, you know, avoid uh, conspiracies as much as possible. Um, but, you know, uh, I lived in Russia, I speak Russian, I studied Russian uh, politics and Russian language at university. I have a lot of friends who are Russian and Ukrainian in Russia, in Ukraine, in the UK, uh, in Moscow, in small cities. Some of them are pro-Navalny, some of them are pro-Putin. Most of them are apolitical and are just like you and me. Mm. Um, so Russia is a complicated country. Navalny was a complicated figure, but, uh, you know, key bono, who benefits? Uh, the line being put out uh, by pundits and all these Russia experts and all these security experts and all these blowhards is that Putin has an election coming up, which they also say is completely rigged. So I don't know why this would matter, but, you know, <laughs> let's try and not look for logic with with, with uh, what they put out. 
Um, but they've said, you know, Putin has an election. Navalny was a threat. Um, he needed to bump him off. I can tell you for a fact, uh, let alone internationally, domestically, this is a massive PR blow for Putin. It makes him right. weak. Um, uh, you know, Russian people are normal people. They don't like, you know, they don't have bloodlust and like, yeah, Navalny's dead, even mm. if they're against Navalny. Um, it's not that type of place. So he's in an Arctic penal colony, high security prison in the only, you know, um, built up area in the world, which is in the Arctic Circle. Um, and he wasn't a threat there. They, they even let him tweet quite regularly and correspond with American journalists. So clearly they weren't that worried about him. But they reckon in their own prison where he wasn't a threat, they bumped him off. And then even when they control, you know, his body and everything, they still did Novi Chok or, you know, it stinks, mm. David. It stinks to high heaven. I'm not saying the opposite, that, um, you know, it was the MI6 and CIA that did it. I, I, I don't doubt that they had a field day after, you know, the Tucker Carlson PR boost for Putin. Let's not yeah. deny that. Um, it's very good timing for them. But I think, you know, what is most likely is that, and this is not what people often want to hear, is the most boring answer, which is um, Russian prisons are not very nice places, especially no. in northern Siberia. Um, and, you know, as we see with Julian Assange, your mental health when you're in solitary confinement or whatever, it wears you down and physically. Um, and uh, but again, David, my point is I'm interested in what happens in this country. I'm interested in our foreign policy, how it's so biased, how it's so double standard, how it doesn't serve British interests at all. Um and uh, yeah, I think, you know, the the coverage in our media, there's been loads about Navalny, almost nothing about Assange and zero about Gonzalo Lira. And I think that tells you quite a lot. Yeah, it, it is quite astounding, isn't it? The amount of coverage about Navalny that you know, is an, quite an obscure figure, I mean, to us, I mean, is, is really of, of not much importance to the West uh, into to happenings in our nations in in the West uh, and the attention he got. I mean, it was like the powers that be in the mainstream media and also in politics, prime ministers and presidents weaponized this because they really want to have a go at Putin. Because you know, to my mind. Putin has had a really good week in terms of propaganda, if you like, or presentation with the interview with sure. Tucker Carlson. Also, the war in Ukraine is very much going his way, very much goes Russia, going Russia's way. They've just taken the key town, city of Avdivka, from mm. which the Ukrainian forces were stationed for 10 years and they could bomb yeah. Donetsk. They can't do that anymore. So things are going quite well for Putin. The sanctions that the West has put on Russia haven't worked. In fact, they backfired incredibly. We're, we're more hurt by them than Russia is. Tucker Carlson was gone to the underground stations, to supermarkets. He's actually, he said he's radicalized. He's seen how good life in Russia is, how plentiful and an abundance of goods they have mm. and how they're much cheaper so so putin is doing quite well in propaganda terms but as you say this doesn't make any sense for him to to bump off navalny and then to hand a propaganda victory if you like to the western mainstream media who are in the service mostly mm. of the governments of of western nations as well
I mean, none of it makes sense, David. I mean, I, I, I just, uh, you know, on the way in this morning, uh, I was thinking about this. I'd love to do a little thought exercise with you. So uh, I want to describe a country, okay? Um, this country is a dictatorship, um, a, a resource-rich dictatorship. It relies on oil exports and the funding for that for most of its budget. Um, it's been known or at least accused of with a lot of evidence of uh, taking out, killing in horrible ways, uh, journalists and political dissidents. Uh, it treats sexual minorities and, you know, others on other social issues. It's um, extremely conservative in a way which, you know, we wouldn't accept in the West. Um, it has a problem with domestic violence. Uh, you know, I won't go on, but... Yes, I could be talking about Russia. Yes, I could be talking about Iran. I could also be talking about Saudi Arabia and many other Gulf countries, which not only do we have completely normal relations with, I see adverts all the time for, um, you know, uh, golf in Saudi Arabia, mm. Come, you know, watch MMA in Riyadh or, you know, Al Jazeera coming up next, sponsored by Qatar Airways, yeah. Fly Dubai, um, you know, and we accept that these are different civilizations, um, we would find we wouldn't like to live there or under their systems, but we respect them and we try to deal with them in a civil way, which benefits our interests. So, I mean, I would say that if we can make, um, uh, you know, peace with a country as alien as Saudi Arabia, why can't we do it with Russia where we share religion, ethnicity, culture, classical music, literature, everything? Um, which was our ally in the two major world wars. Uh, another thought exercise, I'll tell you about a different country. So this is a, a wide, uh, huge, complicated country which uh, spreads an entire continent. It's on paper, it's a presidential system, but in reality, it's an oligarchy where it's entire, all its lawmakers are bought off. Um, uh, its intelligence services run riot and kind of shape domestic politics. Uh, it invades countries and engages in proxy wars, etc. Again, I could, uh, you know, has half of the nuclear warheads in the world. I could be talking about Russia. I could be talking about the United States. We have very different relationships with both. So, you know, our foreign policy, it's, it is an extension of the American NATO foreign policy. It's not a Britain first foreign policy. It's not in our interests. Um, it's in the interests of other countries. And I think that's wrong. And I think, uh, you know, no offense to anyone, but as far as I know, the Heritage Party is actually the only party in the UK which understands that. Um, and it's a shame because this type of critical analysis of foreign policy is usually left to kind of the Corbynistas far left. And, you know, a broken clock is, is right twice a day. But I think that it's high time that conservative people and patriots in the UK kind of wake up and smell the coffee. Yeah, well, thank you for saying that, because sometimes I feel like I'm the only person on the right of politics who is actually calling for de-escalation, as I have done in the Ukraine situation, or calling for a ceasefire uh, in Gaza. You know, I am mm. not on one side or the other. I just don't want people to be killing each other. And we've exactly. gone round the world over the last 20 years, starting war after war after war in Libya and Syria, Ukraine. Yeah. Now we're getting involved in bombing Yemen. And every time we do this, 
it goes badly for the UK. It goes badly mm -hmm. for the USA. And what it does also is it creates new migration crises. And we already yes. have a huge problem with mass rapid immigration. But exactly. we go and start a war or we support Israel in bombing Gaza. Mm -hmm. the, the policy, the stated policy of some people in Netanyahu's government is it's that the Palestinians, Palestinian yeah. refugees. Yeah. They should all come to Europe. Uh, you know, I mean, what, what, what great that allies, about? David. They sound like real friends of Britain. Right. I mean, uh, that, that is the, the last and the worst thing that we need. I mean, a ceasefire so they can stay in their homes and then we don't have a new migration crisis like the ones that we've had uh, over the last um, 20 years. I mean, we need to avoid more and more of that. Um, Tom, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. Uh, it's been great to have you on the show. Hope you can join us again. This is today's News Talk, TNT. Take care. Bye, David. Thank you.